Ryan. Well, good evening. It's so good to be here and good to finally be speaking. I think I, it's been a couple of months since I've been up here and it feels like a breath of fresh air. So I have a confession to make to all of you, and I know we don't often do that from up here, but I feel like this is a safe crowd and all of you are good people. I am obsessed, ooh, I am obsessed with DoorDash. Uh, as much as I love food and cooking, I've created an unhealthy attachment as I have found myself thoroughly embracing this new tool that has let me pick a new cuisine every night from the comfort of my couch. It kind of feels amazing because I don't have to move, and then after some time, magically, food appears at my doorstep. I'll sit there on the couch for a long time, scrolling through, looking at all the food options on this app. Sometimes I'll find something I really want, and other times, and embarrassed to say this out loud, uh, I've ordered from maybe multiple different restaurants in one sitting because in that moment, I just couldn't decide. And yes, I have gotten nervous wondering if the person delivering the food was going to be judging me because he was a repeat person coming back and back and back to my house in the same day. Uh, I deeply love food. I talk about it a lot. I love eating it. I love reading about it, experimenting with it. I love watching shows with food. I love watching others make it and deeply love cooking for others. I'll go to any restaurant if they've been recommended to me for some reason or not. I'll stare at pictures of food, imagining what it might taste like. I'll think about it constantly. I mean, doesn't that look really, really good? Are you getting a little hungry? Well, we've got another 45 minutes to go, so we'll just let that keep stirring within you. But something changed for me when I started using DoorDash. The convenience started to win over this slow practice of cooking it, which I deeply enjoyed. Cooking requires presence and connection to what you are making. Cooking takes time. It takes attention. It gets me away from screen time, and it brings me into this reality as I watch the diced onions sizzle in oil on the pan while I focus on what I'm cutting, makes me look and appreciate each ingredient that goes into every meal. And yet, this very simple digital tool forever has altered how I engage with food. If I'm too tired, well, I can DoorDash. If I don't have enough time, well, I can DoorDash. If I'm bored, and I'm hungry because I'm bored, well, I can DoorDash. If I'm feeling lazy, well, I can DoorDash that too. How many of you have felt like you can just DoorDash some food or Uber Eats or whatever? Uh, we feel these needs within us sometimes. And sometimes this convenience is, is really helpful. And other times, I think technology can actually slowly separate us from our own reality here. They can, in many ways and senses, disembody us from true connections. And so we need practices that help us re-engage our bodies, allowing us to contemplatively ask this question, what am I craving? 
And not just trying to quickly fill that desire with multiple things, but slowing ourselves down and really sitting in it. Well, this is our third week journeying through our series called Spiritual Practices for a Digital Age. And we've been exploring essential practices that help ground us in Jesus. And tonight, well, we're going to be looking at the spiritual practice of not eating food, but fasting. Fasting is an integral practice of the Christian faith. And I hope to help us better embrace why fasting is such a significant spiritual practice. Before continuing, I've got a little disclaimer for us. I think it's important to mention that if you have a difficult history with food or have certain health concerns and conditions, the subject might make you feel a little uneasy, might bring up some emotions, or just make you nervous about it. And whatever your reaction that you may have is, know that fasting might not be for everybody. Conversely, I recognize that not everyone has easy access to food in the same way. And so, if that is you, please do know that here at 10th, we want to make sure that you are not going to be going hungry because of the lack of access to food that you might have. If you need food assistance, we have meal programs like Oasis on Mondays and Tuesdays here in this building. We also have a low-cost food market that happens every other Tuesday as well. So let me read the passage for us as we begin, and then I'll pray. So the passage comes from Matthew 6, 16 to 18. <clears throat> when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen, and your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Let's pray. Jesus, help us to just take a moment and be present with you here tonight. As we settle ourselves, as we breathe in your life, may you grant us your awareness and your receptivity that whatever you would have us hear, may they be words spoken from you. Feed our souls and our beings this evening. Amen. Well, with this passage, we find ourselves in Jesus' most famous sermon and teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. And for those of you who might not know, in this sermon, Jesus outlines what it looks like for God's kingdom to break through into this world, encouraging followers of him to participate in that kingdom. And here we sit in chapter 6, we see that Jesus is specifically teaching on two key spiritual practices, prayer and fasting. Now, like I said earlier, I love food. So I have been immersing myself more into this practice of fasting, and I have found myself immersed into this integral part of what Jesus is calling us to practice, 
but it has been very difficult because I love to eat. He's calling us in this way and instructing us to practice fasting, not by asking his disciples to consider it at some point, but by assuming that his disciples are already fasting regularly. The very word uh, in this passage that Jesus says is, is when. When you fast. There's not if you fast or please consider fasting or could you fast? Jesus has made the assumption from the get-go that his disciples are fasting. And because Jesus is already suggesting that we are to fast, we will explore what fasting is and what fasting is for. And so I guess the first question is what is fasting? Well, in scripture, the biblical understanding of fasting is like voluntary abstaining from food as a response directed toward God. It is not fasting if you plan on giving something up indefinitely, though at the end of maybe the fasting period, you might consider doing that. It's not some kind of spiritual diet. In our culture, there are so many books and theories about how fasting is really beneficial for our health, which might be true. However, some of us might consider fasting as a solely uh, a diet plan. I was listening to this professor at uh, University of California, Berkeley, uh, recently talking about fasting, which he did that practice for 40 days straight. And his hope, as he's telling his class, he goes, 40 days, I really had hoped I'd lost some weight, and I didn't. My, my whole body didn't even change one bit. And as helpful as some of these diet plans can be for our own health, in most situations, I think that diets are done so we can shape how others might see us. Where it might be considered that dieting is about how people see us, fasting, on the flip side, is about how we see God and how we see his world. Fasting is also not a tool to help us become more productive. I've often joked that I fast all day until dinner, like an intermittent fast, but really it's just because I've like stacked my day with lots of things to do, and if I keep going and don't eat food, it feels good, and I'm just being more productive throughout the day. But that is actually not what fasting is either. Fasting is not about increasing our productivity, but our presence with God. Ultimately, fasting poses the question, what? Am I craving? And helps draw us closer to God and the things that God desires. Maybe unsurprising to you, but fasting in North American churches today is considered to be a rarity. However, historically, fasting has been one of the most practiced and significant uh, ways of spiritual disciplines. We read from the Didache, which is a, a teaching document from the earliest generation of the church. Uh, the disciples of Jesus were asked to fast twice per week, both on Wednesdays and Fridays. And, and for the vast majority of our church history since then, followers of Jesus have fasted twice a week. In fact, fasting was so common for much of church history that there was actually a church law to stop people from fasting too much. It mattered so much, even to John Wesley, that, that famous preacher from about 250 years ago, where he would not ordain a new priest unless they too were fasting twice per week. 
Fasting is essential for our lives. It has been deeply rooted in our history. And while the spiritual discipline isn't necessarily practiced primarily for the reasons of physical health, these benefits shouldn't be entirely separated from its purpose either. Father Thomas Ryan, uh, the author of The Sacred Art of Fasting, explains that this discipline integrates benefits for, to the body and the soul. And he says this, it doesn't have to be either or, it can and should be both. Because we are not just bodies and we are not just spirits and spirited flesh. What is good for me physically is good for me. And what is good for me spiritually is good for me. There's only one me to which it all comes back. And that being said, I think it's important to understand that in practicing fasting, a spiritual discipline, this physical element is secondary and serves as a vehicle to the spiritual, to our primary element. And so then speaking spiritually, what is fasting for? Well, I think it involves three different things, and so we'll, we'll kind of go through those over the next couple of minutes. Firstly, fasting helps us develop restraint. Like I said earlier, DoorDash was a catalyst for me to no longer deny myself food whenever I wanted. I could order anything at any time. In our innate humanness, I think the primal animal part of who we are that craves what it wants in the moment was always satiated but never satisfied by what I was eating. My housemates would often ask after I'd like done a big order from DoorDash and say, did you get what you were craving? And my response every time without fail was like this dejected, no. In our current world, technology has allowed us to indulge and crave so many things that we are never truly satisfied by. We have access so much to consume more food, more entertainment, more material goods, more, more beauty, more, more, and more. Our consumption for things has escalated. But in this practice of fasting, we're actually called to starve the flesh so that we may give life to the spirit. In the New Testament, this word flesh refers to this carnal, primal, animal part of us, the one that longs for, desires, and craves. And so when Jesus calls us to fast, he calls us to literally starve the flesh. Starve the flesh to not let the body have primary control. Even in the Garden of Eden, it is set around this idea of food and how we must choose to restrain ourselves from eating. When Jesus is tempted and tested in the wilderness, he, uh, food becomes a central element for him, to which Jesus chose to abstain from and not succumb to the bodily desire, that primal desire for food. I believe that our level of self-discipline with food is actually equal to our level of self-discipline with sin. Fasting, in this very sense, acts as a, a form of self-denial. We choose to not consume food in a way to say that we are denying our flesh so that it may 
not have control over us in ways that other things might. That our spirit and connection with God may be strengthened as we fast. In Colossians 3.5, we read this. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. In this act of self-denial, we are putting to death the earthly primal desires that we may have. Fasting has even been described as as a mini-death. And this idea of little deaths helps us feel that anguish of each fasting, the pain and the grief that might be inflicted in it. In the Roman Catholic tradition, this, this putting the flesh to death is called the mortification of the flesh. This idea of denying oneself certain pleasures, like abstaining or fasting from meat, alcohol, sexual relations, or any area of life that makes the person's spiritual life more difficult or burdensome. It is in these fasting practices of self-denial or restraint where we can begin to have a growing sense of healing and freedom from the things that may have control over us. John Mark Comer, who's the the founder of, of Bridgetown Church in Portland, says this, the less limits we have for our appetite, the less limits we have for sin. Which inversely means that the more we fast, the more limits we have from sin. If you're struggling with a particular sin, fasting can be a powerful way of pursuing freedom from it. Essentially, as we fast, our desire for sin goes down. Now, this just doesn't mean that sin goes away completely or permanently when we fast and pray, but but fasting helps us shift our focus and puts to death these desires of the flesh so the way that we give life to the Spirit is in the freedom with the Spirit. Second, Fasting helps us develop our prayers. When we fast, our focus is drawn inwardly to our own bodies and our souls. And it is through our bodies that we offer prayers back to God. In the passage of Matthew, uh, we read here in verse 17, But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus is saying that when we fast, it's only for the father. Not for anyone else. Not for anyone else to pay attention or notice. Not for our peers. Not to flaunt about it. But to do it in secret. Interestingly enough, these these verses are found actually wedged between the Lord's Prayer and a passage about storing treasures up in heaven. And when we fast and not try and let everyone know that we are fasting, when we fast humbly, we receive something greater. Our relationship with God is strengthened and deepened. Our focus becomes set on him. And like the Lord's Prayer, fasting teaches our bodies to pray. It also uh, 
It also teaches us through our bodies to invest in lasting treasures rather than primal indulgences. When we fast, we engage in what the author Scott McKnight called body talk. Body talk is essentially how our own physical beings engage in prayer through this practice of fasting. So here's a question. Have you ever gone without food for so long that your stomach begins to like groan? Hearing the rumbling inside your stomach, feeling it through your body, grasping your belly, hoping that it'll just be a little bit quieter. Realizing that your face is making some contorting, is contorting itself because the body is like longing for nourishment. Every time it makes me realize how human I actually am. That I'm in need of something and cannot just constantly be satisfied of my own accord. That groaning is like our body's way of saying, hey, pay attention to me. Can't you see that I'm empty? You, you need to eat something so I have energy again. And I know that when I've gone without food for too long, it's so loud that it even begins to like disrupt the people around me. Have you ever been disrupted by someone's hunger? Because I have, and I've been the one to disrupt it. In fact, when I think about the idea of our stomachs groaning, I cannot help but reflect on Romans 8:26 where it says for we do not know what to pray for as we ought but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words the spirit dwells within us groans our deepest desires and longings as a prayer offered to god he intercedes for us and when our stomachs groan, when they ache, when we get a physical reminder of that beautiful conversation our bodies are making and get to have with God, ah, oh, there's a sweet spot there. There's something physical happening as a reminder for us. Just to clarify, this isn't a, a spiritualization of hunger or poverty but a chosen intentional time to allow our bodies to feel hunger, to feel connected to God, to offer something up in a prayer. And this kind of prayer that is guttural and deep, that is deeply connected to our bodies, that embodies us with prayer, becomes so integrated that who we are, uh, with who we are, that the conversation that we are able to have with God through our physical beings can actually be so powerful. Even in Mark 8, 28, we read how Jesus cast out certain demons, and he says this, and when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could you cast it out? Why could we not cast it out? And so Jesus said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. What Jesus is alluding to here is that when we find ourselves immersed in God's presence by both fasting and praying, we're able to pay attention to God's voice in a greater way. Hopefully not to sound either crass or overly simplistic. In an essence, 
As we draw closer to God, we begin to receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We gain more power from the Holy Spirit. The Spirit dwells within us. And the Spirit that intercedes for us, that Spirit begins to have control. Not our physical bodies. Not our primal beings. Number three. Our final point is that fasting helps us develop compassion. Fasting isn't just about our own relationship with God and our own bodies, but our relationship to to those whom God loves. Fasting reminds us that in our church, our city, our world, there are people who go without a meal, not from choice, but from need. Fasting also teaches us to empathize with those in need. For a short period, to feel their hunger and to feel God's love for them in a different way. Tyler Statton, who is a pastor at Bridgetown in Portland, says this about fasting. Through fasting, I willingly discomfort my body in a way that other people are unwillingly discomforted. It's going to be very hard to develop empathy without a sacrificial practice by which I'm training myself to love the poor. Our empathy is ultimately meant to invite us into action. Fasting is not only meant to impact us and our relationship with God, but to lead us into loving action towards those in need, those around us. On a practical level, when we fast, we're able to understand how others feel. We can grieve with them, pray alongside those who are suffering, and when we can give back some in, and we can give back in some beautiful ways, whether that's through some type of serving or even giving the money we would have spent on food to those who don't have easy access to get it. Fasting ultimately helps us draw close to God's heart and closer to the people God loves. This discipline helps prevent us from over-spiritualizing things, uh, so we begin to, to see God's love fully. In Isaiah 58, we read this. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? to loosen the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? St. Augustine said this in his fourth century commentary, Reflecting on this passage, he says, Break your bread for those who are hungry, said Isaiah. Do not believe that fasting suffices. Fasting chastises you, but it does not refresh the other. Do you wish your prayers to reach God? Give it two wings fasting and almsgiving. Now, in in the biblical worldview, almsgiving is is what we call acts of justice or charity. It is the Christian practice of giving food, finances, or other resources to those who need them. 
It helps us recognize that everything we have is ultimately not ours, but God's. We are constantly invaded by ideas of consumption and consumerism. We have easy access to so much. Like my DoorDash problem, if we want something, we just are click away with a few buttons to get it right to our doorstep. With little effort, we are becoming even bigger consumers, but fasting teaches us to look beyond ourselves and to the other. It literally helps us break bread with someone in need who may need it, and it moves us towards action. I find that this modern digital world leads us more into these disembodied ways of us being, from virtual reality to solely like digital relationships and easier ways to order food. Fasting is one of those practices that helps us counteract the ways of the world. It helps us to reattach our bodies to God, to ourselves, and to others. Reminding us that we are embodied beings as we practice this very human discipline of fasting. So what might you, since God is calling you, to practice in fasting? Or maybe more simply put, what are you craving? If you're considering to start fasting and you haven't done it before, may I offer you a consideration. Pray for God to shape your heart towards it. Prepare yourself for it. And begin to see how through the spiritual discipline, you get to grow in your relationship with God, with yourself and with others. No matter what, continue to ask, Lord, what am I craving? And pay attention to the one who is ever present with you. Let's pray. Father, as we sit in your presence today, May you stir our hearts towards you. May we see your glory and goodness. And wherever we are at, may we begin to crave you more than anything else in this world. Amen.